Annyeong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren. With me today, I have two guests. First of all, I have uh, Stephanie Stone-Rob uh, of the <laughs> the Life Mark Podcast. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. And I have Keith um, Harrison Allison. Annyeong, everyone. <laughs> Annyeong. <laughs> two people with three <laughs> names. There's a lot of names for me to try and remember. The episode we're covering today is uh, episode 14 of season 2, Motherboy 30. It was first broadcast on the 13th of March 2005. It's written by Mitch Herberts and Jim Vallelli and directed by Joe Russo. I've spoken about all those people a number of times. First of all, um, I'm going to read the plot for this episode. Lucille recruits George Michael to take Buster's place at the annual mother-son dinner dance while Michael and Job are busy tracking down the seal that ate Buster's hand. Tobias signs away the family's life rights in order to get a part with his former acting coach, Carl Weathers. Quite a lot of plot uh, going on in this particular episode. It sounds kind of like a fever dream. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, this is actually, the, as far as the Carl Weathers part is concerned, uh, this is the return of Carl Weathers uh, after a number of episodes um away essentially um he was a very big part in season one um where you know he he kind of uh he appeared <laughs> talking about how much he loves stews and how to save money uh and all that kind of stuff this is his only appearance in season two he won't reappear again until um season four mm -hmm. in fact so they, they didn't mm -hmm. find a chance to bring him back i would have expected when they had the uh the the save our blues meal i would have thought they could have got carl weathers for that but Apparently, uh, he was busier. Um, I also I also like how when you read that summary and you kind of look at all the sentences, I think the thing that stands out the most is tracking down the seal that ate Buster's hand. <laughs> when the episode itself, it's actually kind of dealt with very quickly. Like, oh, we found the seal. Oh, no, we just found its arm in a shark. And that serves as the catalyst to act at the mother boy dance. Like, just love how, yeah, seal, it's part of the rest of development life like get that over with very quickly <laughs> i think it's funny that they spent quite a lot of time i mean this is quite soon after buster has lost his hand so they're still kind of um you know talking about getting it back on but obviously it, anyone who's watched the show knows he never gets his hand back right like it always stays cut off in season three they stopped using the hook and they used like a, a, a plastic hand that's kind of like a glove that tony hale wore um, but for, I mean, for me, when I was first watching the show, I hoped that they would get his hand back and put it back <laughs> on at some point, but it just never happened, unfortunately. Um, so, but speaking of that, um, I'm going to ask, uh, Keith, when did you first come to the show? Um, did you watch it when it was on Fox or did you catch it later on DVD or Netflix? Uh, I caught it quite a bit later, actually. And this is going to be where I kind of betray my age here. But I was nine years old when Arrested Development first started. So it's like a knife in my heart. I think I've, I think I've heard in past episodes, we've actually had younger people even than me on this podcast. So I take solace in that. But yeah, when I was a kid, I wasn't really that much ingratiated into pop culture on a grand scale. So it was more uh, after it had gotten canceled that I was really kind of taking notice of classic or some of the claimed sitcoms. And when I was kind of looking them up, Arrested Development naturally came up because it had so recently been on the air and so acclaimed. And I actually found it on Hulu uh, at the time, I think around 2008 or 2009, all the episodes were uploaded on Hulu. So I think one time at a, I think one spring, my brother and I just kind of sat down with it and we just binged through most of season one and we just thought it was hysterical we couldn't really believe the the continuity cavalcade involved it wasn't anything we'd seen before and it just immediately became something i was excited to watch and rewatch as i got into the characters and the uh intricate plotting involved so that's how i came aware of it <laughs> around 2009 let's get into the episode i should note first of all the title mother boy 30 was not going to be the original title of this episode in fact, it was originally titled the Tender Crisp Chicken Comedy Half Hour <laughs> because of the sponsorship of Burger King, which appears throughout the episode and which they lean really heavily on. So obviously they, they came back from that and just decided to stick with Motherboy 30, which I should also note is depicted in uh, Roman numerals rather than um, the number 30. So it appears as Motherboy XXX. Uh, which, given the relationship between Buster and Lucille, that seems slightly inappropriate. 
the, the event would be Motherboy XXX. Uh, but I guess that's obviously what they're going for. Um, anyway, we start for some reason with Michael getting up very early. The narrator tells us to avoid his family. Um, unfortunately, Lucille is already there, uh, to which uh, the, narrator, <laughs> the narrator says, which put her wake up time in the 3330 area. Uh, and we find out very quickly that she couldn't sleep because she gets excited about Mother Boy. Obviously, we're in season two here, so we've been with the family for roughly a year. So obviously, we never got to see Mother Boy 29. Um, so I'm guessing the show started just after that, because I, I would assume that that happened the year before. Um, and in fact, the narrator tells us that Lucille had gone over 25 times with Buster. And given that Buster is, what, 30, 31, I think, at this particular time... It's kind of almost as if the event was made for Lucille and Buster to attend. <laughs> and we get we get shots of them throughout the years, you know, dressed uh, with, with the young Buster, um, dressed in, like, disco clothes and, you know, various of the different, uh, you know, kind of uh, outfits. Um, now, I don't know if there is a thing such as this where <laughs> mothers and, and sons go somewhere to gather and dress in costume and dance. I, like... It, the entire enterprise seems completely unclear as to what the aim is. I mean, they say it's to, you know, uh, promote mother-son bonding, but that seems like it's really been promoted enough in terms of Lucille and Buster. I don't think that needs encouraging with some kind of complicated dinner dance type thing. I will say that living in in the South, in the United States, uh, in, a, in a place where things like cotillions and these very bizarre antiquated things... I know father-daughter dances are a thing, mother-son dances are a thing. Whether it goes to the length of dressing like Sonny and Cher, I, I can't go on record <laughs> for that, but I can say that uh, these sorts of events are a, a very much treasured part, especially in the southern United States. Yeah. Terrifying. I, I, guess. I mean, possibly not in somewhere like Orange County, I would think. Although, you know, Orange County is known for being quite conservative, so... I, I also love how it's only now that Lindsay's finding out there are father-daughter dances, even though it's been going on for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, she doesn't find that out in a little bit, because the narrator tells us that... As one entered sexual maturity and the other one left it, it became so harder to win. And we, we, we see Lucille and Buster, I'm assuming from a couple of years earlier, where... Lucille says, um, you know, so hot. And Buster, and probably one of my favorite Tony Hale deliveries where he says, <laughs> if you were hot, Mother, we would win. Lucille is excited for Mother Boy because it's, it's not just Mother Boy, it's Mother Boy 30. And she has decided to take Michael. He asks, you know, for the first time ever, Buster doesn't want to do this. And um, Lucille says, he's been so mopey. And Michael says, well, that could have something to do with the fact that his seal ate his hand. And Lucille, some, for some reason, says, I don't know what it is. And Michael goes, I think that's what it is. I like how in past episodes of this show, and you guys have talked about it before, uh, a running thing with doing with the comedy is how it's often comedy through miscommunication where people aren't clear enough in what they're trying to say to people and that gets misinterpreted. And here we have an actual like rare version of that where Michael... At first, is playing coy, like, oh, it could be this. But then he just straight up says, like, okay, but no, really, he's messed up because his hand has just been eaten by a seal. And Lucille's just so oblivious that she will still write it off and be ignorant of her She's son's She's just distracted pain. by just, Mother Boy, the excitement of Mother Boy. And it just, it's so perfectly fitting the character and makes it even funnier in the moment. <laughs> and we get a flashback here to Buster losing his hand to a loose seal, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably one of the funniest um, you know, kind of plays on words. And, um, you know, when... <laughs> uh, we then see Buster being reminded of the accident everywhere. And, of course, he, he has his seal that he won as a, a prize from the claw machine in um, Afternoon Delight. Um, and, you know, obviously he has his hand chair, which, you know, he, he reclaimed after it was given away <laughs> to uh, Lupe. And then, of course, he sees the uh, his alarm and he hides a little bit of it so it says, arm off. And I don't know how it's a reminder when he's deliberately making it into one. And then, of course, you know, we see uh, we see Lucille has been zipped up, but um, her back is all scratched from, from hook. Buster's hook. I don't know why he used his hook hand. I don't know why he didn't use his other hand. Um, like, he knows he's got a hook on his hand. So it's just a strange choice. Um 
And of course, you know, there's a reluctance from the Bluth children to spend any time with someone who has lost a limb due to the fact that uh, J. Walter Weatherman was used to teach them lessons. Um, uh, And we get a quick flashback as well to J. Walter Weatherman saying, that's why you don't yell. Um, And, you know, Michael here, he lies basically saying that he was going to see Buster today um, just as a way to get out of Mother Boy. Um, And if this is where Lindsay enters, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know why Lindsay is up this early either. It's kind yeah. of puzzling how how the entire family seems to be up pre-dawn uh, when Lindsay is known for staying in bed. In fact, at one point, Lucille called her a stay-in-bed mom. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why she would be up this early. She finds out about the father-daughter dances and, and uh, Lucille says it was before we did your nose. But that was probably quite a while ago because, um, you know... In the flashbacks, the younger Lindsay that they use doesn't have like a nose that is that, as Michael describes it, makes her look like a, a falcon when she was a swimming cap. So I, I don't know how long ago it was that they did the nose, especially as George Michael was unaware of it. So I guess it's probably before he was born. So we're talking at least 15 or so years ago. Right. So that's at least since Mother Boy 15, basically. Um, so, yeah, there's been a decade and a half in which Lindsay could have been taken to a daddy daughter dance. Um, though I think, you know, obviously it was just simply reluctance probably on the part of uh, George Senior to get involved with the family in any way. And then, of course, we find out that that Tobias is back with Carl uh, and the narrator (laughs) reminds us that he's gotten a call from his one-time acting teacher, Carl Weathers, as if there is any other Carl that could be on this show. (laughs) Tobias, he he tells Lindsay that um, if it takes off, he might be able to buy her the happiness that she deserves. (laughs) <laughs> which you know seems to be the the way that the you know the, the Bluth family think, and this is where we get a little montage of the uh, the different things that um, Tobias had vanity plates made up for, where he has inmate number two, um, and Doctor House uh, amongst those. Uh, of course, in real life, uh, apparently David Cross was in the running to be. Uh, Gregory House on Fox's house mm-hmm. instead of Hugh Laurie and I cannot imagine how that show would have gone <laughs> yeah, with David Cross in that role I was, I was always curious about that since I saw that joke like I always wondered how close he actually came especially when he was already a series regular on another program on the Fox network would he have just left the show or would he have been pulling double duty on an ensemble comedy and then also the lead of a drama series I think he was, he was, uh, apparently he was a top five choice. Um, but it might have been because he was on Arrested Development that they didn't, they didn't like put him in the kind of top, you know, he didn't get any further basically because of that. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's such a, a strange idea. I, I just couldn't imagine David Cross, um, in that particular role. Um, and you know, th- this is where Lindsay, kind of bemoans the fact that Tobias is not a take-charge husband. And, um, you know, this is where Michael points out her daddy issues and that she's still looking for someone like George Sr. Um, And he says that, let's not forget that he was also dismissive and disinterested. And Lindsay says, no, no, he had some good qualities, which just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. I don't understand how she thinks, you know, that George Senior had some good qualities. And this is the start of a, a, a short storyline that runs for the next few episodes where George Senior has tea parties with the dolls that he's found in the attic, um, <laughs> which is just so puzzling. Um, and um, he says to the dolls as they are sitting around the table... Who wants to take the top off? <laughs> Which is just <laughs> such an an odd kind of... I don't know what's going on. Obviously, George Sr. is going a little bit... Having a bit of cabin fever while he's stuck there in the attic. This is this is where we also find out one of the, the kind of other storylines, which doesn't really feature that much in the show, uh, in this particular episode, which is about the uh, the promised land. Um, it's mostly a, a kind of a running joke where, um, you know... It's brought up that that, uh, that George Michael wants to go on a camping, a Christian camping trip, and, uh, <laughs> and as as they're in the attic gathering the uh, trying to find the uh, the pump for the uh, for the I'm guessing for the airbed, you know, Michael comes up, um, and um, he says that they had to uh, take all the pumps out of the attic, 
Um, Judge Senior, you know, had been messing around with the um, the breast pump in an earlier episode, so I don't know what else he's been doing with the other pumps, but clearly Michael had to take some action. And I think it's funny here that um, uh, as, as George Michael goes to pick up like one of the little cups in the tea party, there's booze in it. Mm-hmm. So George Senior's clearly just been up there getting drunk uh, and having tea parties. And we get this. This is probably one of my favorite kind of exchanges between George Senior when he he figures out what's going on about, uh, you know, promises and stuff like that. And he has this this kind of rant where he says that... It's all that fidelity and pledging yourself to a woman garbage. And he says... You know, I wine them and dine them, but I don't let them tell me what to do. I... And then he looks at the dolls and just goes... Don't let them tell me <laughs> what to do. <laughs> such a such a crazy kind of... I like... I just love how he seems to be lecturing these dolls who have been kind of forcing him to do stuff. I don't, I don't know. It's just a weird scene. And I also like how he doesn't quite know them well enough, but is still having conversations with them. Like uh, when maybe and George Michael are coming and they're talking about the trip, uh, maybe at one point says, like, oh, you're going to need more booze than Polly here. And you can see George Mike, George Sr. from behind a crate just saying, that fat one's Polly? Like he's <laughs> got these preconceptions about the dolls that are now being twisted when he finds out. Like he's concerned he's been calling her by the wrong name this whole time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is where, you know, Michael finds out about, um, he's found out about, you know, the promised land and f- via George Sr. and this crazy rent. And he, uh, he decides that he's not going to let George Michael go, which leads to this weird exchange where Michael kind of tries to take the moral high ground uh, uh, you know, saying that he, you know, he shouldn't go there, and and obviously this is where maybe finds out that she, they can miss school to go to this thing, and she decides to become a devout Christian, which leads to her saying, "Do you, guys Do you know, know where I can I get one of those gold necklaces, necklaces with a T, with a tea on, it? on it?" And Michael says, "That's a cross." And she goes, "A cross from where?" Uh, maybe it's kind of complete. Uh, you know, lack of uh, knowledge coming through there. Yeah, well, and, and um, you know, you have the that uh, that that play on words where that that confusion and communication uh with the across from where and you you have one a little bit earlier too where um where george senior and michael are talking about uh george michael going on on this this promised land trip and uh george says yeah you know what's risky letting your son go on that church thing michael goes well her name's Anne, dad and he's not going on her okay they're just friends <laughs> yep and then like uh, in between those two you have another wordplay that's very literal uh, where uh, Michael says, like, he's t- teaching George Michael about responsibility. Then he says, like, or did they not teach you that at the promised land? And George Michael just responds, well, I don't know. You won't let me go. And Michael <laughs> yeah. just responds, like, attaboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because as, as maybe asks about the cross, Michael just kind of closes the door on her as <laughs> she's standing on the other side of it, which I think is like a kind of like a weird little gesture that he does. And uh, yeah, he's he's trying to make it. He's trying to make. He's trying to pass off his kind of duties of going to see Buster onto George Michael, and that's you know where we get into the conversation about the Promised Land. And obviously, Michael seems to have not realised what he's just done, and that <laughs> this is the going to the Promised Land is a, a future event, not something that's just happened. And you know, Job is uh, trying to get divorced. This is a, a revisiting of storyline from season one, where he married um, his wife. Um, he does not know the name of, uh, and she was always referred to simply as uh, Job's wife. And of course, he can't even recall what she looks like, which leads to this conversation where, you know, um, he says that the cow is going after me. And Michael's like, she was super thin. And Job's like, what about her cans? Did she have big cans? <laughs> he literally can't remember anything about her. And the weird thing is, you know, the storyline with Job's wife wasn't just like a one-episode thing. Uh, Amy Poehler was in like four or five episodes in a row uh, where they lived together and he started wearing sweaters. And so I I can't understand how he can't remember anything about her when he actually lived with her for quite a a sustained period of time. We get back to the fact that he never actually slept with her. He, he, he says, you know, like, uh, it was one wild night, one night of wild passion, which wasn't true because they were together for quite a while. Uh, but Michael says, of course, and yet you didn't notice her body. And Job says, I like to look in the mirror, which Michael says, well, that, that would be disgusting if you actually slept with her, but I don't think you did. 
And of course, Job, I like how he goes, I did, and it was disgusting. Which is, <laughs> like, I don't know why he would want to lay claim to that. Uh, and of course, the narrator corrects him by saying, They didn't, but it would have been. Whenever Ron Howard interjects with a very judgmental sort of piece of narration, I think that's always one of my favorite pieces of input from him. Like whenever he just comes in, he's like, <laughs> yeah, this person's terrible, and they're incompetent in this way. It's always the best. <laughs> and I like how Job says, uh, remember that seal of hers that I released into the ocean? The one that bit off Buster's hand? <laughs> Michael's like, vaguely? Um, uh, which is also my favourite kind of Jason Bateman delivery of stuff where he's just really sarcastic <laughs> because people are asking him obvious questions. Um, and he's basically got to try and get the, the seal back because apparently it's worth 250 grand, which sounds like a lot for a, this particular seal, especially as if you recall the seal deal that she was going to make, um, they were basically dying seals. <laughs> they weren't very well. So I don't know how it's worth 250 grand. If Job remembered anything about the detail of like his life with her, he could at least say, well, that he remembered that. Um, and I like how Job says that it's worth 250 grand. And he says, and that's not even including Buster's swatch. Just um, <laughs> such a kind of uh, funny thing. And then, of course, you know, um, he finishes the scene by saying that uh, that Michael can't handle the fact that he's got a super thin wife with huge cans, <laughs> which I find to be such a, a kind of odd yeah. way that he feels he's getting one up. Uh, priorities, you know. We get Barry here, who um, you know is uh, is is coming in, you know, because he's letting them know that he's found the seal. It had a tracking device on, and it's uh, it's at the dock at Dana Point. Um, and Michael says, if the, if the hand is, is still intact, then Buster's got shot at a transplant. And I love how Job goes, at the very least, we can get Buster's swatch back, right? And he goes for a high five. Oh, and <laughs> Michael just stands there and doesn't return it. Uh, which is something of a running joke in the show where Job will go for high fives and no one is willing to return them. And then we get into what would have been the tender crisp chicken comedy half hour part of the show where we go to Burger King and Tobias is meeting Carl Weathers at Burger King. And uh, he says, he says that, uh, you know, thank you for meeting me here at Burger King. Uh, I'm getting some money exchanged for sitting a, sh a scene here at Burger King. And of course, Tobias says, well, so long as you don't draw attention to it. <laughs> um, and in the space of like three sentences, they said Burger King like four times. <laughs> and not it's only that, kind of but... ridiculous. But when they say the word Burger King, they'll also occasionally cut to an exterior shot of the restaurant, too. So they're just, like, <laughs> emphasizing with the hammer more and more with each mention. It's funny because, um, you know, like, product placement on television isn't that common. Um, like, everyone has Apple laptops, obviously, with their glowing Apple logos. Uh, and practically every show finishes saying, you know, promotional consideration by Apple. Um, but... Generally, just having like promotion of other things other than computers is quite rare. Um, I know that there were a number of shows on the CW last year that everyone seemed to be using a Microsoft Surface. And I'm like, really? I don't think superheroes would be using Microsoft <laughs> Surfaces, but, you know. It is the CW. Um, and while we're at Burger King, we get to meet, because we get, first of all, introduced to the, the, the series, which is Scandal Makers. Um, which I assume is a reference to like kind of the, some of those like kind of true crime stories mm -hmm. uh, that they have like on cable. Right. Um, I, I I mean I like that it's called scandal makers though. Like it's people who make scandals, <laughs> which is slightly odd. Uh, and then you know uh, we find out that Carl Weathers is directing an episode of Scandal Makers about the Bluth family and George Bluth's escape from justice. Uh, and I like how the narrative of that escape has been twisted so that he plays the lead, which is a bounty hunter, Name of Ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and having seen the show, we know that Ice's involvement in this particular episode was fairly minor. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how they're going to twist it so that Ice is the lead. Um, and I like I like that Tobias says that uh, he seems to think he they, they want him to play himself. And he says, I swore I'd not go reality, which is <laughs> such an odd thing. Um, and this is where Carl Weathers introduces us to Dave Attell, uh, who will be playing um, Tobias. And he's actually looking for a, a release. 
because he needs someone in the family to to give a release so that they can basically do the episode. Um, and this is where Tobias says that he could not betray his family. And Carl Weathers says, come on, man, I got every part cast except for George. And Tobias immediately goes, I want that part. <laughs> and Carl Weathers is like, sign over the rights. <laughs> I like how quickly Tobias betrays the Bluths uh, just for a kind of a role on a on a cable like scandal show. Um, and then, of course, this is where uh, Carl Weathers reminds uh, Tobias that uh, he's going to that you can get a refill on any drink and it's free. And Tobias says, it's a wonderful restaurant. <laughs> and the narrator tells us, it sure is. <laughs> that was always one of my favorite gags from the entire show when I was watching it. The first, when I was watching it early on, just something about jokes about product placement have always just struck my fancy for some reason, even though it's the ultimate kit. It's the ultimate case of having your cake and eating it too, almost literally. But like jokes like that, yeah. like with uh, with Wayne's World's product placement sponsors, with Thirty Rock, uh, t- <laughs> talking about how great their phones are, and then having Tina Fey say, "Can we have our money now?" Right at the camera, they always just get me <laughs> so much, and I can't say why. Like so much that meta commentary, just oh, I love it so much. <laughs> and the funny thing, of course, is Thirty Rock did a thing where everybody loved McFlurries. Yes. Yeah. And Tina Fey had to actually come out and say that wasn't product placement. They just really liked McFlurries. <laughs> and so they wrote it in and it's like, and then they got like a load of them sent to them from McDonald's for free. But it's like they didn't, weren't paid up front for it. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the thing is people expected like around the time that Arrested Development, you know, was doing this product placement. There were a lot of people who were talking about the fact that, you know, in the future, basically every single thing people talked about in shows would have branding on and would be a product placement. And I don't think that's ever, that's ever really happened. Um, like it's not it, like there's still kind of product placement in shows. And, you know, it, it, even recently there was like an episode of Brooklyn nine, nine where everyone had the same car, <laughs> you know, and um, you know, on the shield, everyone drank one brand of beer, no matter who they were. Um, you know, and obviously the, the fast and the furious films are famous for Corona getting a lot of plugs <laughs> Um, you know, there's an entire scene in in in, in Furious Seven where Kurt Russell and, and Vin Diesel just discuss Corona for ten minutes. Well, um, it was a thing yeah. in the you know TV shows in in the mid '50s and even well into the early '60s where having very obviously sponsored television shows like it's the Carnation Instant Milk Comedy Hour and the you know the the Crest Quiz Show. Uh, I mean, it was blatant, and they would do the uh, work those commercials into the actual show itself. Um, so, so this isn't anything anything new. Um, but I, I like that they've taken that idea and have turned it into something that is just so obvious and blatant comedy. Um, you know, like you said, being very very meta in its delivery. And this is where we get then George Michael has gone to see Buster, um, and he is as scared of the hook as everybody else. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and they're playing checkers and um you know george michael says king me and then he sees buster's hook and he's like oh my god and he keeps doing that throughout the rest of the scene this whole scene is both of them realizing that the hook is there like every few seconds um uh, uh, you know and obviously when buster goes to touch the board he basically knocks it all off and um and he says well that's a do-over so who should go first let's rock paper scissor for it and I love how George Michael's like, no, 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 you would have won that. <laughs> and, and of course, when Lucille says, you know, uh, did you offer your nephew a bowl of soup? Um, we flash back to earlier where Buster says, can I open a can of soup for you? And George Michael goes, can it open a can? And Buster's like, can what open a can? And then they both see the hook. Oh, oh God. And then um, <laughs> I'm just... I just love the reactions to the hook in this episode. Yeah, because uh, I also feel like um, the pairing of Buster and George Michael isn't one that we see too often in the show. They aren't. It's like it's, no, it's not something that happens very uh, prominently. And so seeing the two of them together and having them become sort of united in this scene just by fear of the hook, like a <laughs> like that's one of the that's one of the most interesting interesting things about arrest development dynamics is that people either become united when they're ganging up on someone or when they're totally scared of something like because like uh in the in the 
in the family flashbacks, whenever they get the guy who is trying to teach them lessons with his one arm, like it's always so striking to me because those are the moments where the Bluth children are the closest together because they're all so scared and they're huddling together and they're screaming together. <laughs> yeah. Like in all the flashbacks, you see Lindsay just hugging Buster, trying to shield him from something, and and Job's bravado just totally goes out the window as he and Michael are just on the same level of fear and confusion. And so seeing that represented now through George Michael and Buster, where they keep getting the antics where they realize the hook is in the room and it just freaks them out, <laughs> is just a wonderful little uh, tidbit. And I, I, do, I do love as well that um, when, when George Michael goes to say that he wanted to spend some time with Buster, he says... I Actually, I just wanted to spend some time with my knuckle buster. Um, which is such a weird kind of turn of phrase. Yeah. Um, and when Buster says, not everyone is afraid of me, as he holds the hook near George Michael, George Michael kind of under his breath is like, oh my God. And they just keep doing that every time they see the hook and it's just quite fun. And this, of course, is where Lucille gets the idea of replacing her baby uh, with Michael's baby uh, when she sees that, um, you know, he's the sweetest thing. And I like when she says, spending some time with what's left of your uncle. <laughs> Um, you know, and obviously, you know, this is where George Michael gets to say family first, because obviously that's what his priority was, rather than going to the promised land. Um, and Lucille starts saying, you're a very sympathetic young man, very sympathetic. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> you can see the idea in her head kind of taking shape. Um, and then, you know, um, she says that she's taking him out. And uh, George, as we as we get to them in the, uh, in the car, uh, George Michael... The narrator says, should have realized by the sailor suit that Lucia was dressing him in, <laughs> that he wasn't going to the promised land. And of course, uh, Lucille seems to think that, um, you know, singing, like the, the music of, of children is basically music that you would play to a very young child rather than, you know, popular music. And so I do like the enthusiasm of uh, Jessica Walters singing anyone else but me i can't believe you don't know this song george michael nope. yeah because that would have been a song that that would have been popular when she was maybe just a little bit younger than what george michael is and so it's like this is what teens listen to still <laughs> yeah uh but i love how she keeps stopping singing to say you know uh, sing along to george michael and kind of encouraging him and then she just keeps going with the singing as well um and of course, the narrator then says, "No, no, no he was going south, <laughs> south to Motherboard." So ominous. Uh, of course, um, you know, the, the the we find out that the, the you know Michael and Job are going to the dock, uh, but of course they're afraid of the dock because of the last time they were there, uh, you know, doing a drug deal which went completely wrong, mm -hmm. and uh, Jay Walter Weatherman was there losing his arm. Um, and so they decide not to take Buster along, um, you know, because they just want to check it's the right seal. But then, of course, Buster shows up knocking on the window and then smashing it as, as though <laughs> in some kind of horror film. And, of course, as, as the glass breaks, Job shouts, monster. Um, <laughs> and then when Buster says, hey, brothers, Job responds with monster again. <laughs> And once again, and once again, like with earlier with Buster and George Michael, uh, we see two people who are unified by fear. Uh, Michael, <laughs> yeah. and, Michael and Job have spent all the episode just very antagonistic because, you know, because Michael has been giving, ribbing him about his wife. And now they're just talking about like, maybe, maybe we should call Buster. And they flash back to the guy with one arm and they're like, no, let's, let's call him, not give, get his hopes up. Like they just are so in sync on that one <laughs> issue. Um, and of course, you know, this is where Buster finds out that they're going to get the seal. Uh, and so Buster wants to join, join them. And I like how Joe kind of sleep, tries to get out of the car, you know, saying, oh, it's a good idea. I'm going to go with, with Barry. And I like how he, he says, um, you know, there's not enough room for you and me and the stump, <laughs> uh, which I, I quite like. Um, and then as Tobias is in the attic, he's trying to figure out the voice of um, George Sr. by going through some of the family stuff and doing some research. And I like how he does this voice saying, uh, I'm George. Oh, that's good. That's the voice. I've got the voice. And then, of course, George Sr. can't can't take this. And he just emerges from the shadow saying, that's not my voice. Which I, I just I love because basically Tobias is not doing anything close to Jeffrey Tambor's voice. He's just doing this kind of weird 
kind of kind of half attempt at a, a, an impression of him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I love the the anger that uh, George Senior has here. You know, when Tobias asks why he's there, and he says, "I'm having a f-ing tea party. What does it look like? I live here." And I like kind of the 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 kind of the direct anger that he has. Of course, you know, George Senior has been angry at Tobias for quite a while. In the previous year, they were both imprisoned together very briefly, uh, where, you know, Tobias managed to get the upper hand by killing White Power Bill. Um, and they had, a, they had a short discussion then. Uh, and this is kind of the first time that they spent some time together because obviously George Senior has been stuck in the attic away from the family. Um, so it's basically a season since, since the last time they had an episode where they had a scene together. Um, and I love how as George is, is put his hand over Tobias, uh, Tobias goes for the strategy of any uh, younger brother, uh, which is to just start licking the hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and uh, of course, <laughs> you know, George has to take his hand away saying, stop licking my hand, you horse's ass. And, and Tobias wants to be taught by, you know, George. And of course, you know, George insists that he's got to play him like a man. And he says, not like some mincing little Polly or Nelly. I get those names confused. Apology. And then he looks at the doll saying, apologies all right. <laughs> I don't know why he's apologizing to the dolls, but I guess, you know, the cabin fever has really set in for George Sr. And uh, um, I like how with that little uh, with that little aside, it, it does something very rare in the show uh, where it actually turns Tobias into the straight man for a second. Like it never happens. Yeah. But when George Sr., makes a little comment you see tobias just having no idea how to react so he just gives a little a side glance <laughs> at george senior which i find so interesting like tobias who is always the one who either weirds people out or is just off in his own little world is now the person relatively grounded in reality when compared to somebody who's been living in this attic with nothing but dolls and company for the last few <laughs> weeks or months yes dolls dolls and breast pumps and maternity clothes um it's, it's been a strange time for George Sr. in that attic. And then, of course, we go back to the search for Buster's hand. I like how Buster kind of gives the game away here when he's, he's, he talks to, you know, Michael, <laughs> where he goes, I would love to be able to say, look what I've had reattached while you and George Michael were off to Motherboy. <laughs> but I, 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 I love how that's basically exposition, but, you know, Buster is, is using it as like, this is how I will insult her when she returns by by showing her my reattached hand. And I don't know how long Buster thinks hand surgery will take because uh, he seems to think that he can get it done in the time that Motherboy takes place um, and have it completely healed in time to, to kind of show off with it. And of course, um, you know, this is where Michael finds out that he's not happy, basically, that um, she's taken into Motherboy. Um, and, you know... Um, <laughs> I, I love I love how Buster seems to characterize it as um, G- George Michael being trying to sweep in and and, t- and take the role, um, you know. And he says because he's not damaged goods. I I, I find it odd that kind of just the loss of his hand, Buster seems to think that suddenly he's like not a person anymore. Um, and I don't think anyone else in the family really helps him out in the situation because they're also afraid of his hook that they don't really want to be near him. And then obviously, you know, when Buster says, Face it, Michael. They've won. He's the new Buster. <laughs> narrator says, This was the worst thing Michael could possibly hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think part of it with Buster is that uh, as of now, like his hook has just caused nothing but torment to people. Like whenever it like makes a ruckus of some sort it always causes him to say that he's a monster and i think just living with lucille who is doing nothing but just saying that he's damaged goods that there's this is all that's left of him it cannot be helping his psychology whatsoever yeah <laughs> and this is where we get possibly uh, one of the kind of most uh, well-known moments from arrested development i would say um because you know, we find out that the the, the you know they track down a shark because it's bitten off the flipper of the seal um, and Buster, of course, shares solidarity with the seal that bit off his hand, saying so he lost his hand too. And I love how Job characterizes it as poor guy's probably out there without a flipper, swooning around in a circle, freaking out his whole family. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how that would be possible because obviously this seal was part of like, you know, a group of dying seals that were being sent to a zoo by Job's wife. So I don't know how he would find his, you know, his, uh, his family. Um, and when the fisherman, you know, tells him that he was basically raised in captivity, Michael kind of says, you know, that they were both 
too sheltered to learn how to protect themselves. And we can't let that happen to George Michael. <laughs> um, and obviously this is where Buster decides to help him rescue his son. Um, and obviously Job says, I've got to staple this to a seal. Um, and then Barry decides that he skipped breakfast, so he's off to Burger King. And at this particular point, we see Henry Winkler jump over a shark. Um, which is kind of the most inside reference that this show could possibly have made. Um, but given that the fact that the episodes of Happy Days where Henry Winkler, as the Fonz, did jump a shark, were some of the highest rated episodes, um, and the show only got more highly rated after those episodes went out, it always puzzles me that people think that jumping the shark is a low point uh, for a TV series, because on the original Happy Days, it it, it was, you know, a high point, basically. Right. Um, right. I think part of it is, like, it, it's one of those things where it's just it's a moment that kind of is so unique that you can kind of pinpoint it as being like, oh, that's when the show kind of stopped being what it was or decided to focus more on going to other other territories just for stunts. Um, it's kind of, yeah. It's kind of like how in 24 second season, everybody will always pinpoint to a uh, to Kim Bauer being trapped with cougars and mountain lions as being the nadir of that season, when really she's only in that <laughs> scenario for like an episode or two, and it's really just more emblematic of how you know, she spent the entire season being chased by this crazy uh, person she was babysitting for, or getting caught in a hostage scenario at a gas station, or being trapped with mountain man Kevin Dillon. Like it's you always go to the most. So the thing that stands out the most, just when you think about it, even if it wasn't the thing that maybe was the actual Nadir, I think. It's a nice little joke, though. And, of course, it gets them to mention Burger King one more time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then, you know, we, we get to the... I guess the kind of the whole ending in this uh, at Motherboy is probably one of my favourite things because um, it, it lets the show make fun of the band Arrested Development. <laughs> Um, <laughs> at least a few times um, uh, where we see Lucille arrives um, and they're going to change into uh, because they see they see two people dressed as them and I don't understand what outfit Lucille was going for when she was just dressing him as a sailor boy and she was also dressed in the same kind of uniform because then she decides to change into Sonny and Cher to which my, George Michael says of course who? and I, I can't I don't know I don't know how long it had been since Sonny Bono had died at this particular point but I can imagine that you know if you were 15 um, in, in 2005 you probably hadn't heard of Sonny and Cher you might know who Cher is but I, I guess combining it with, with you know with, with Sonny just makes it seem slightly more puzzling yeah I think, he, uh, I think he had passed away I think seven years before that like 1998 or so was when he died yeah um but of course, like before that, he had spent many years in Congress, so he was out of the. So he's kind of out of the pop culture eye. Before that, it's funny because, of course, you know the the um, you know the the kind of like in more recent years, the appearance of like Chaz Bono, mm-hmm. I guess, would have made mm-hmm. kind of the whole Sunny and Cher thing a bit more obvious to people. So I, I guess if they show had waited a few more years, Sunny and Cher might have been um, you know a bit more. Uh, relevant again I, I think that it it also you know to juxtapose that with uh lucille singing don't sit under the apple tree and her just being so out of touch with um what is cool <laughs> and what is hip and like what is music i mean she's out of touch with everything um what things actually cost um you know uh relationships with with minorities and people of color and even something as simple as um, what is a song that has been released in the last, oh, I don't know, two years? She's just so completely clueless about um, anything present day. And I think the Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree and the uh, Sonny and Cher thing, it just drives that home perfectly. Uh, and of course, when Lucille says she's here for Motherboy, the hotel clerk says, and you do realize this is not the band. Uh, which is about the most direct reference to the fact that Arrested Development, the band, tried to sue the show for the use of the words Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. And the narrator, of course, shows us a picture of the mother boy, uh, which, of course, is all the male members of the cast in Kiss-style makeup. Um, and there's a little of um, uh, Jethro Tull thrown in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, he says... Uh, <laughs> Motherboy was also a heavy metal band that used to rock pretty hard in the 70s. We are legally obligated to make the distinction. 
which I kind of like. George Michael wants to call his dad, and Lucille insists that they'll know when they bring home a trophy. Um, and obviously, sensing George Michael's reluctance, when asked what the name, you know, to put the room under, Lucille says, Carmopolis. <laughs> Um, which I kind of like that she already has like a hotel alias that she uses um, as if she's had to kind of hide from people previously. Um, uh, and then obviously uh, Tobias has been training with George Sr. to capture his essence. And when he comes back down from the attic, uh, Lindsay and maybe are in the kitchen and uh, Lindsay is trying to open the uh, open a jar of mayonnaise, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's struggling, and of course, of course Tobias uh, says that it's a little t- late for talk, I'm a man of action, and as he grabs the jar, he tries to open it, and it won't open, so he just throws it in the bin and says, you don't need the calories, <laughs> uh, and then just kind of walks away, and as he leaves the room, we can hear him whispering, this isn't working, and then, you know, obviously, Lindsay at this particular point, it's worth noting they've had an open relationship for most of the season, but unsuccessfully, they, they really haven't been able to get together with other people in any way. Um, and then, of course, you know, Lindsay says that, you know, seeing this display, she, she wants to be with Tobias again. And, of course, maybe says, uh, then you should go with him for, as it is written, you shall be with whom you have formed a more perfect union under God. And I find it funny that, like, she's basically stealing some of the state of the union um, kind of like f- most famously a lot of presidents tend to say a more perfect union when they do the state of the union yeah um, and, and we get a little bit of the kind of religious musical sting that, that kind of accompanied um, uh, George Senior uh, when he converted in the previous season <laughs> and then of course Lindsay says she's right and walks out and maybe kind of says this isn't working as well which is weird because essentially both Tobias and maybe have just manipulated Lindsay successfully. And yet they both seem to not realise that they've been successful in doing that. Um, and when we return to the hotel, we see a group of guys dressed up in kind of uh, mother boy uh, costumes. And the clerk saying, you've got the wrong mother boy. Um, <laughs> which, which I like. Um, and as Buster and uh, Michael arrive, we see this, this boy dressed as a sailor. And, um, you know, Buster runs over, uh, grabs the, the, the boy and says, we're getting out of here. And we see this, <laughs> this, this, this child. And as he turns around and Buster sees him, he goes, oh, God, it's red. Which <laughs> um, <laughs> is just one of my favorite kind of reactions because everyone is, is like scared of his hook and he's scared of redheads, apparently. Yeah. Um, and this is where this child starts saying, take me with you. And Buster kind of tries to get away from him very quickly. Um, and, and then this is, we see a lot of, because obviously Buster has been in the army. So we see a little bit of his kind of um, like army training style thinking coming into play here. Where he, you know, he, he says that, you know, if mother saw those two, he's going to change. And that means he'll be on the balcony. Whenever she changes clothes, she made me wake on the balcony until zip up. And then he goes, and yet anything goes at bath time. Um, once again, kind of yeah. making the relationship between Buster and Lucille even worse. Um, and so, you know, Michael decides they should go check the balconies. Um, and finally, we get around, you know, to uh, the the, the storyline, which really, uh, you know, it's late in the episode before we get to it, which is where, um, you know, uh, Job is going to meet with his wife. Um, and I and I like the kind of the, the the double talk that takes place when they're in the bathroom, as um, you know, <laughs> as as Barry says that he's not super prepared, <laughs> and I like that he throws kind of air quotes around yep. that, <laughs> um, and you know, Job says uh, because obviously you know Barry needs him to lie, um, and Job says we did have sex, and I'm not a great liar, and the narrator says both of those things he just said were lies. <laughs> which <laughs> I, I kind of like. Um, and then, of course, you know, when Barry says he doesn't want to go in front of the judge, uh, once again, it's Judge Ping returning. Um, he says, I caught him in a drag club. And Job goes, what were you doing there? And Barry just goes, wow, you should be the lawyer. <laughs> which, of course, is kind of a class. It's just a deflection. It's not actually like a... He doesn't really think that. He's just deflecting it to make sure that Job doesn't ask him more questions. Yeah. And as Michael and Buster, I don't know how they do it, but they manage to get up to, like, the roof of the neighbouring hotel, I think, or 
I've never been able to completely work this out mm. as to the size of this hotel or the location of where they are, but they managed to get up onto a rooftop so they can survey the balconies. Um, and I like the Buster says there's a very bored-looking little Sonny Bono on that balcony. Um, and obviously, this is this is where, uh, you know, Buster decides that he's going to use something for he trained in army, uh, where he's going to zip line over using his hook. Obviously not realising that his hook is not, like, permanently attached to his stump. Uh, and so, to me, this seems like something that could go very, very wrong. Um you know, and obviously Michael warns him against this, but I like that Buster says either I zip down or he zips up. And that's a mighty long zipper on Mother's share jumpsuit. You have to get down on your knees to start it. <laughs> and I like how Michael is so disgusted. He's like, uh, this is much less scary. Good speed, Buster. <laughs> uh, and this is where we get some classic kind of like just slapstick as Buster. He immediately his stump comes off, obviously. Um, and the stump continues ziplining while Buster falls through a skylight into a bedroom um, and lands on a bed where the the, the sailor boy is, uh, who, of course, says, you came for me, and then, then that falls through to the next floor. Uh, it doesn't seem like this hotel is very well sturdy constructed because Buster, basically just landing on a bed, falls right through the floor um, uh, and keeps going. Uh and then we, we, we see Lucille saying, zip me up with the with the share, you know, um, jumpsuit. Uh, and then this is when the hook flies into the window. And Lucille realises that um, maybe someone is onto her and she decides that they're going to switch rooms and costumes. And then we return once again to uh, Burger King, uh, where, you know, Tobias has begun working on, on the on Scandal Makers. And uh, this is where we, we actually meet Dave Attell, who is shocked to describe that, uh, to find out that, that Tobias is straight. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, he stands up wearing the cutoffs, saying, what the hell am I wearing for these uh, these four? Um, and, and then, obviously, this is where Tobias comes in trying to uh, give notes to Dave Attell on, on uh, why he should, where he should be wearing them. Um, and when Dave Attell questions him, he just says, it's a thing. There's dozens of us. Um, you know, a, a popular cry uh, for the never nudes. I, um, I also like how when he's coming to Dave Attell, you can see he passes by uh, these scandal maker versions of Michael and Buster talking together. It's just a nice little background <laughs> yeah. gag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is the point where Dave Attell feels that maybe scandal makers is a career killer. Um, and Carl Weathers distracts Tobias by giving him some lines and having him learn them because he apparently was hired without any lines. So I don't know why he was trying to find the voice for George Senior uh, if he already knew that he didn't even have a speaking part. Um, he was just basically going to jump onto a moving stair car. Uh, and of course, this is where we get uh, Dave Attell saying, if that man's straight, then I'm sober. We finally see Amy Poehler once again as Job's wife uh, saying that she's waiting for Garb Bluth. And I like how Job is like, did my wife send you? And she's like, I am your wife. Uh, and of course, this is where he tries to find where her name is. And he says, nice to see you again, uh, you Sami. Feels uh, as she's, you know, still uh, wearing her, her uniform. And I like that he says she's lost a lot of her weight in Iraq, especially up in the northern region. Um, which... Uh, and then obviously, you know, she's after the seal. And, um, you know, I, I love that. I love Job's and Amy Poehler's exchange here where, um, you know, he says, maybe I'll just say we never sealed the deal. And she goes, you're willing to admit that? And he just goes, lie about it? Yes. Um, and of course, we get some we get a Bushism here as she says, I miss underestimating yeah. you. <laughs> yep. Which really places this show in 2004 because I, I doubt people would remember how stupid George Bush was. Um, oh, you, you never forget. Stupid things he said. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I would like to say that, um, you know, there have been some things in recent weeks that might have eclipsed his stupidity. Yeah, I was so. going to say, some things might, uh, might suppress that <laughs> based on the last few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah and of course you know this is where job's wife wonders you know what she's missing um and i like how job says other than your cans um and 
this is where they go about finally consummating their marriage. Uh, which, of course, at the most inopportune time for Job. Um, and once we get back to Mother Boy 30, uh, Lucille is trying to find, you know, kind of... Um, she's, she's trying to exploit the fact that, uh, that she starts telling people that uh, George Michael is an orphan. <laughs> um, but George Michael keeps explaining it and saying, you know, I'm not an orphan, I have a dad. To which Lucille says... Well, that little bit of honesty helped nothing. You better bring it to the waltz, young man. <laughs> uh, which I just kind of like. Uh, and I, it's weird because, again, they, they, they've gone from a specific costume with Sonny and Cher to just a generic one of being gypsies, uh, which, which I just think is really odd. Um, and it's at this particular point where Buster says, my army training tells me this is going to be a hot mission. Um and he decides that it needs a name, and he says, Maybe Operation Hot Mother. And I like how Michael's like, oh, let's, let's try to top that. And the narrator tells us, They never did. And later, Operation Hot Mother was underway. Something I also like, um, uh, I hadn't really noticed this until a few weeks ago when I was kind of looking into it on the Arrest Development wiki, but uh, when they're staking out the situation and Buster has the line, they change in the gypsies. He, uh, he kind of trips over the door that he and Michael are standing in. Then he kind of stands back up, hits the other door, and it smacks Michael in the face, and he falls off screen, <laughs> which was apparently something that Tony Hale just uh, improvised accidentally, and Jason Bateman just went with it. <laughs> so that was something I found kind of, uh, kind of interesting, looking back on this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this show where they just kind of go with mistakes, uh, and stick with them. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know how Lucille thought she was going to be able to hide because obviously, you know, swap with the whole swapping rooms and swapping costumes, she's trying not to be caught by, uh, what she assumes now to be Buster at the very least, but you know, obviously also, you know, uh, Michael is there. Uh, but then the the dancer announces them, <laughs> where she says Lucille and her orphaned grandson, um, and obviously Michael and, and Buster, are, you know, are backstage, um, and as um, I Buster kind of goes to, um, I think he's aiming for the curtain, isn't he? He's trying to get the curtain, yeah, and he ends up getting hooked on like a sandbag right. and pulled up, and I like how he's kind of just hanging up there, and he just yells, grab him, take the gypsy boy. <laughs> uh, which is such a weird line. Um, and I like how Michael wants to rescue George Michael, but George Michael says they haven't served dinner yet. Um, so obviously he has his priorities. Um, and then once again, the, the sailor boy kind of leaps onto Michael, asking to be taken. Um, I don't know why, like... All these different people want to get away from Mother Boy Thirty. I guess it's just the mothers that enjoy this this kind of whole thing. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I know, think the it, the mothers it, and Buster. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I like how you know Michael goes over to Buster and you know he he kind of holds he kind of holds around his waist and pulls him up and kind of unhooks him, um, and then the announcer says, you know, let's do some freestyles waltzing, boy's choice. Uh, <laughs> To which, of course, Lucille immediately takes that choice away from George Michael by saying, you're choosing me. Um, uh, and then, you know, we find out, obviously, that, you know, Michael was supposed to be spending time with Buster. Um, and George Michael finds out as well. And he's not he's not completely happy about that. Uh, that basically he was f- he fobbed off onto Buster. Um, and I, I like how, you know, Michael kind of, you know... Here he admits he was afraid of, you know, Buster now that he's lost his hand. And, um, you know, he's actually, despite kind of sending George Michael along to so he didn't have to spend time with Buster, he actually ended up spending quite a lot of time with Buster, um, you know, trying to track down George Michael at Motherboy. Um, and this is where, you know, Lucille decides that she's going to have a, a costume change. And I like that she says she is Peter Pan. Yeah. Which, I mean, I understand kind of like the theatrical uh, tradition of having, you know, women play Peter Pan, but they're generally not as old as Lucille. <laughs> um, and obviously she then decides that um, Buster's Hook makes him Captain Hook. Um, and, I, I, you know, I quite like the ending to this storyline because it is, you know, 
obviously she should have just took Buster and she should have just accepted that he has a hook for a hand and they should have just worked that into a costume to start off with, you know, rather than trying to find a replacement. Um, and then, you know, we, we get to... We finally do get to the promised land as obviously, you know, Michael has decided to let George Michael go. Um, and, um, you know, we see <laughs> we see that Buster did get a uh, a, a trophy yes. uh, for saddest. And I like how George Michael goes, and I saw some of those people. That was a very competitive category. <laughs> and Buster replies like, oh, I know. And then he says, I can't get on my seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as as Michael and George Michael get out, he he, he realizes that he can't get out with his hook, um, and then we get to the on the next, uh, where Lindsay um, wants to be with Tobias, and so she goes to see what she thinks is Tobias, but obviously it's just Dave Attell as Tobias, and you know <laughs> he basically just drops the cutoffs, and Lindsay says, "So you don't cry when you take those off." And then, obviously, having consummated his marriage, Job admits that he's never consummated his marriage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Job's wife shows a photo, which, of course, uh, makes fun of the Abu Ghraib yeah. <laughs> torture yeah. pictures, which is such a <laughs> such an odd choice for a joke. But uh, uh, and then, of course, um, you know, the judge because of because Job was wearing a hood. Uh, the judge says there's no way to tell who this man is. Uh, and Job goes... That's me, Your Honor. I f- my wife. Um, and Barry, of course, goes, we've really lost this case. Um, and then I love the ending because we get um, um, we get to the promised land where obviously maybe is already there and she's telling a campfire story and she you know, tells about the escaped lunatic with the hook for a hand. Um, but I like how she says... There's only one thing more terrifying than the escaped lunatic's hook, and that was his twisted call. And Buster enters right on cue saying, Hey, campers! And everyone runs away <laughs> screaming. Uh. And for the first time for the first time in the show, Buster screams, I'm a yep. monster! Um, and I, I love how Michael goes, This may have been a step backwards. <laughs> uh, and it's worth noting that the end credits, rather than being the usual music, we get to hear um, the Mother Boy song. Yes, which is my favorite. <laughs> which is kind of like a, a like a, a 1950s waltz where um, the lyrics are upon her knee, so fine to be mother and boy, mother boy. Um, and it's, it's, I think that might be the first time where the the end music has been changed for one of the one mm-hmm. of David Schwartz's songs. Yeah. Um, something which will actually happen quite a lot in season three. They actually, um, you know, they 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 kind of st- stop using the end credits music quite a lot, and they they just go with the, the full versions of the songs. Uh, just oh yeah, there's one last little uh, Burger King shout out they do when uh, George Michael, Michael, and Buster are all in the uh, the car coming to the Promised Land. They're drinking out of Burger King. Uh, soda cups. <laughs> one last little thing I always kind of forget about until I see it. Uh, is there anything else you think we need to discuss, Stephanie? No, I I think it was uh, pr- pretty pretty faithful to the story and, and and covered all the all the important bits and all the the bits that make this my my favorite episode. Obviously, there is a little bit of kind of like um, foreshadowing because you know Operation Hot Mother um, will be renamed Operation Hot Brother when they go to retrieve Joe mm-hmm. um, in Iraq. So if there's nothing else to talk about for this episode, then I should let you know that on the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, my guests will be Alison Saigon and Tom McDermott. And they'll be joining me for The Immaculate Election, um, which uh, has a number of jokes about um, both the 2000 and 2004 presidential elections. So join us for that. Um, and now I'm going to go to plugs. Do you have anything you wish to plug? And I'm going to start with Keith. Uh, yeah, I changed my Twitter handle recently. So if you want to follow me there, I'm at KHAllison94. And yep, that'll be it for me. Okay. And Stephanie, I know you have a podcast you wish to plug. Yeah, actually, I've, I've got a couple. Uh, so I, I have a podcast uh, called uh, Life Mark, a made-for-TV podcast where we watch and review uh, terrible made-for-TV movies. Um, I also have a, a podcast called The Songs That Saved Your Life, where we talk about uh, people's stories at age 15, 
uh, through three songs that they identified with at that age. So that's kind of my highbrow podcast. And then um, I drag it back down to the depths with Life Mark. Um, I also run the Ear Trumpet Audio Network. So check out eartrumpetaudio.com for the full catalog of shows on our network. Great stuff. Thanks to both of you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, sir. And otherwise, goodbye. Oh, uh-huh.